Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Designer Spencer Phipps is a born risk taker. There isn't a limb on his body that doesn't have a scar from one escapade or another that he jumped into with both feet before asking questions. The man even is missing a significant portion of one of his pinky fingers from one memorable misadventure. And when it comes to taking risks, Spencer also has no problem doing that in business. It was, after all, an impulse decision to launch his signature menswear brand, Phipps, back in 2017, when, after having worked alongside Marc Jacobs and Dries Van Noten, he found himself looking to make his next move and couldn't find a fashion house that ticked all the boxes. So instead, he decided to start his own. Spencer, who was born and raised in San Francisco and graduated with a degree from Parsons in New York, has, over the past four years, created for himself a label that scratches a very interesting sartorial itch. His clothing celebrates timeless American wardrobe staples that allude to wide-open places, outdoor activities, and manly pursuits. Garments that Spencer has designed so that they revere nature, appreciate the artisanal hand, and seek to leave as little impact as possible on the planet. While simultaneously, his goal is to have them hold a long-term place of honor in a man's closet another sustainable pursuit. From its inception, one of the pillars of the Phipps brand has always been its commitment to sustainable sourcing and responsible manufacturing. For the designer, this means both leveraging the latest technology in terms of construction and production, as well as fine-tuning a list of transparent, sustainable suppliers that he works with regularly. His fervent commitment to crafting clothing that makes an impact but doesn't leave one on the earth is one of the reasons why Spencer was an LVMH Prize finalist in 2019. And after just two seasons, the brand was added to the official Paris Fashion Week menswear calendar. But if I'm being completely honest, on top of all the reasons I've already mentioned, Spencer is just a really cool guy that you always have fun hanging out with as you too will soon discover when you listen to this interview. Hey, Spencer, it's great to see you again. Hey, great to see you. Listen, I want to go back to the beginning with you because not everybody knows your origin story the way I do. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about your first introduction to the the world of fashion or when you had that first inkling of that this is something that you wanted to do? I'd always been interested in clothing. Like it's, it's one of these things, even when I was a kid, like I remember being very specifically fascinated by the clothes that I would wear, like being very specific about the things that I would, you know, it's like, I need to wear these cowboy chaps and this exact like weird polo shirt and my little moccasins that I was like really obsessed with for a while, or even like being in my parents' closets, like looking at these things and just noticing the way people dressed. Um, and I didn't realize that was like a thing that was, you know, there was an industry side of that, or that was, you know, where these objects even came from for the most part until I was kind of a teenager where, you know, the the internet was becoming the thing. This was, you know, what, around 99, 2000-ish, I guess, if we're sort of going back in time. And I realized, I I discovered style.com, I discovered show studio, and kind of similarly discovered like magazines and just the whole industry was like, oh, wow, there's this whole sort of expression side and this whole sort of artistic side and you know the communications on it and it it 
really, yeah, became very interesting. You know, the sort of the high and the low of it. Uh, you know, we had Alexander McQueen doing these insane shows or Galliano couture, like, oh my God, things. You know, and just weird experimental brands. And I don't know, I was really, really seduced, I guess you could say, by, by the whole industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm just getting a picture of you as a child. Were you one of those kids that you, your parents couldn't dress you? You had to pick out your own outfits then and you had to put on your, or you just were like committed to those particular pieces, like nonstop, you kept wearing the same things over and over again and they couldn't get you out of them. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, I was like definitely more of a repeat performer kid. <laughs> and I would like fixate, I would have these like things and different, you know, my life could be broken down into like different pieces of clothing like it was like oh that was the year that I was obsessed with like the tuxedo bib sweatshirt <laughs> that alone says so much about you right <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, um, and then you talked a little bit you said um you know the Alexander McQueen's of it all and then the more like the street so what was the in the fashion world the creative creativity of it all which appealed to you more was it that fashion storytelling aspect, the more outrageous, or was it the more functionality about it? Uh, I think at the time, like when I was young, I was sort of really intrigued by, yeah, the storytelling, the the larger than life, that kind of cinematic quality that, that the industry has, you know, not so much about the clothing itself, but just about the storytelling and the, the ability to sort of transcend just fabric, you know, or garments. That kind of came a little bit later in a way. So then why, because, okay, so the storytelling was the first thing, um, because there are people who go into like creative direction or they go into styling. So what was it about the actual designing part of it then if the storytelling was such an attraction? I like the design process. I, you know, it's, it's something that I'm naturally someone who likes to like make things or build stuff or sort of like create things. I, I've always have, you know, I was like building these Lego worlds as a kid and yeah, you know, I did, a, uh, I really enjoyed that. You know, what I like about clothing is like, there's nothing. You have an idea, you sort of find some ingredients, you do this thing, and then afterwards there's like an object and it's it's come from your brain into reality. You know, the same, I love design in any way. You know, I think I could apply the same thing to doing cars or, you know, architecture, whatever. You know, it's all kind of the same process where it's, it's research, it's creativity, and it's channeled into a, a thing in the end that, then moves on, you know, it also moves on from me. It becomes this tangible object that like you can purchase and wear and it takes on a second life, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, it becomes part of my story then, you know, from then exactly. it becomes that my cherished tuxedo, you know, shirt that I wear. Yeah, that tuxedo bib shirt that, you know, you wore to that birthday party once and you have that amazing photo of you. Exactly. <laughs> Well, so I know it'll be in your next collection. No, I'm joking. Um, what, <laughs> what, um, so when we're talking about it, living forward, and you were talking about your creative process, can you talk, dive in a little bit more deeply into that creative process? Are you somebody who needs to work alone? Are you somebody who needs to be surrounded by people and kind of create by consensus where you have a, a mood board and everybody is, you know, populating the space? Or are you somebody who needs to have music? I mean, what's your, do you drape? Do you sketch? How do you work as an artist? I research a lot. That's kind of my thing. I gather images, whether that's something I see or research, you know, like deep diving into weird topics of stuff. I read a lot, but it's mostly just like gathering things that I find inspiring or, you know, sort of even things that I think apply 
whether or not, if, you know, it's like, it, it can be very odd things that might be outside of the, you know, it's not just, oh, here's images of clothes. Here's a book about physics. You know, here's a, a yeah, weird, you know, Eastern philosophy theories. And, you know, how can we apply that to a garment? How can you rearrange these things to make something that is then giving me the response that I sort of, you know, I get these sort of feelings inside this mm -hmm. kind of strange notions. It's like, you know, I just, I want this thing that feels like a certain way, or I want a product. Sometimes it'll also be more product-based also where it's like, you know, this is, I want to make, you know, for example, this water bottle and well, okay, what's the most interesting approach to that? You know, how can I apply different things and, and create this, you know, using the language that I've kind of built for myself, how can you make one that feels specifically FIPS or uses that language? And so now you've got your own company where you're creating your own language, but before that you you worked with Mark Jacobs, you worked with Dries. Can you talk to me a little bit about that time in your career and then what led you to the, the idea of like, okay, now it's time for me to stand on my own two feet and get out there in the world? Well, you know, when I went to school or even when I was a kid, I, I had never really considered starting my own company. It was not something, you know, I know there are people who go into the industry saying, you know, I'm going to have my own brand one day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I just thought, whoa, this whole industry is like really insane. Yes. I'll probably just get a job somewhere and like do that. You know, I was a bit like, whatever happens, happens. And I finished at school at Parsons and I started in the studio at Mark Jacobs, like a couple of months after. And he was like probably one of my favorite designers. I mean, still is, you know, but he's such a legend really. But it was like one of those, like, if you asked me at school where I wanted to work, it was Mark Jacobs would have been my answer and did that straight off the bat. Wait, wait, stop there. How did, cause this is the point where you're gonna have the people who are listening who have that same kind of dream. Like how the hell did he land that gig? Like, <laughs> what is the, like how, I mean, it's the same thing with me when I talk about, yeah, I sent out one CV, got hired by Susie Benkes, you know, like people are like, wait, what? So, I mean- It was literally that. It, it was kind of very similar. Like I, you know, I finished school in June and I went on vacation, took a, you know, six weeks off and went to Europe and saw some friends and whatever, came back to New York, was like, better get a job now. And I got an email address of someone in the press office and said, hey, you know, I'd love to be an intern at Mark. I just finished a Parsons. Here's my CV. Here's my portfolio. And yeah, two weeks later, week and a half later, I came in right in the beginning of show styling. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so hard when you try and give advice and you're like, well, like, how to, you know, it just, you know, there is luck it, has something to play. Honestly, pure luck and timing I think on it like really that's most of it okay yeah I must have been very, very nice but like I think they just needed somebody mm -hmm. at the time and I happened to be there and available and the best of whatever maybe like uh, maybe a small bunch I have no idea because you said he was was it better you know sometimes when you meet your idol it's it's can be quite deflating but it doesn't sound like that was the case for you no, I mean, he's, he's actually one of those people, like, he's just so funny. Like, he's such a, such a character, you know? And it was exactly, the thing is, for me, also, when I started working, I remember, you know, my first day was, like, the first day of styling. And I thought every day at the office was something like that, where you work until 11 o'clock at night, and, you know, oh, my God, the fitting, and everyone's whispering and running around, and there's catering, and, like, you know, model disaster, and where, oh, my God, where's the socks? We need the socks right now. You know, it's very high stakes fashion drama, which is kind of what exists in your head when you don't work in fashion. And it was literally that. And it was like, this 
is next level. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> exactly what you saw on, on the soap opera television. Yeah. Totally, totally. You know, it was like two days in, they were like, here, can you destroy this leather jacket and, you know, giving me a spritzer bottle and sending me into the bathroom to just like, basically fuck up samples to make them look a little bit more worn in. And it's just like, this is so insane. <laughs> and I loved it. But but to go from, and correct me if I'm wrong, to go from Mark, which is that, well, they're both very creative, to, to Dries, who is so, he's so creative, and yet there's a system, very systematic, at least the experience that I've had with him. But maybe you can correct me because you've got more, you know, feet on the ground experience with with Dries, what's it like to work with him in comparison and kind of like what you're pulling from both of those men into your creations? It is very systematic over there. It was, I mean, I remember being shocked that like at the end of the day, both of them produce garments because the entire manner that they go about it is like apples and oranges. Hmm. Like they just, it's not even the same, you know, everything down to like the way that they categorize things is like totally differently. The language, the like, you know, it's just completely different way of working. Not that necessarily one's better than the other. It's just like, it's fascinating that there is no correct answer. I thought that like, this is how you do the system. And then you have your little paper and you put the colors on it. And then, you know, Dries is a bit more like, it's systematic, but it's also quite free form in its system. Like he's, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It was very strange, the process with him. And I definitely learned more about like running the business side, I think from Dries. Mark is like, business be damned, I'm putting on a show. And it's all about the character and the look and doing something fabulous and amazing. And Dries is very much about, you know, making striking images and, and you know, doing a nice show and coming up with a concept there. But at the end of the day, it, he is a businessman and he's very focused on making sure that not only do you have the showpieces, but you've got merchandised collections that hit every customer level and this customer is covered and this one. And what is this customer going to get from this collection? And we need to add this shirt because we don't have that customer covered. Mm -hmm. Um, Those sound like the most perfectly amazing diametrically opposite godfathers to have (laughs) to go to start your own company. So what was the what was the aha moment of you saying okay thank you so much Dries thank you Mark and now it's time for me to see you know fly on my own you know get out there in the world. Yeah well I mean you know a lot of it came from I mean to be perfectly transparent I was a bit miserable in Antwerp you know, it was a fascinating environment for me to be in, but it was like really far from home. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, you know, I'm a very strange place, Belgium. I, I didn't, I didn't. Well, it's not far from Paris where you're based now, but you're California, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So uh, yeah, far from home. So, but. Like, yeah, mentally very like- different culture, different climate. Everything is flat and gray and hundreds and hundreds of years old and silent and there's no one on the streets. You know, it was just, there's no nature. I kind of was like freaking out a little bit, you know, and realizing just how American and how into nature culture I really am. Yeah. Simultaneously watching the climate crisis become more and more and more and more important and talked about and feeling a bit helpless Hmm. and sitting there and just going like, oh my God, Uh, you know, there's like, what can I do here? So I'd finished my time at Dries and was, you know, obviously not going to live in Belgium if I didn't have to. I kind of was a bit like, well, I can transfer my visa to France pretty easily and maybe come here and set up the brand here. I didn't really want to go back to the U.S. at the time. 
But there was an intention to set up a brand. There was. Well, there was actually, yeah. There was this moment where it was like, I kind of, so I finished my time at Dries and it was a bit like, all right, well, I guess I can go get another job, but where? You know, because Dries was another one that like, if I, if you had to ask me who I wanted to work for, it was, it was Dries. It was Mark. It was Dries. Yeah. You know, there was like, it was a list of a few people that I was like, yes, oh my God. And the other ones seemed a bit impossible or I wasn't really sure, you know, I was like, is it all going to be kind of the same thing? I don't know. I didn't really like working in that environment anymore. And yeah. I thought, okay, well, what would be, let me just like sort of make a little list of the qualities of the house. Like what would be my dream job? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Let's just pretend that I'm just going to sort of outline it and say, what are this, what, you know, it's like, yeah, doing environmentalist things, feeling a bit attached to the rest of the world. Um, you know, a bit of activism, very Californian style stuff that I like because I'm always a little bit like in between a fashion customer and a very normal person. You know yeah. what I mean? Like shopping at Walmart, but not really. <laughs> no, 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 I get it. Uh, you know, I just had these kind of lists of qualities uh, that I was looking for. And then at a certain point I realized it kind of didn't exist. And yeah, I was able to get some money from my mom who had just sold a house at the time a bit of extra cash and she was a bit like you know would you want she was it was actually really her who who yeah, gave mom. me the idea you know she was just a bit like well would you do it if you could mm -hmm. but like uh i mean i've never thought about it but like let me sit on this for a minute and i'll let you know and then yeah you know sat with that for about six weeks mm-hmm I mean, like, you know, uh, maybe like, I don't know, is, is it possible? Is it complicated? And then just did it, kind of decided that was the way to do it. And so for somebody who wants to start their, their own brand from, from scratch, from nothing with a, with a little help of mom and savings, what were for you have been the biggest challenges? I mean, cause you, you, you know that like for some it's like, who do I get to supply me with the, the fabrics or the, you know, the production, you know, the, the supply chain and all of that, but you had your contacts to relate because of the time that you spent at the others, at the others uh, houses. I don't know. I mean, you build Not, those relationships. I mean, yes and no, weirdly. Like, I mean, I know a million fabric suppliers, but saying that you're going to do a sustainable focused Mm. environmentalism thing all of a sudden just cancels <laughs> like 95% of those suppliers so I remember going to Premier Vision like the first season that I'd kind of I was like okay I'll make an appointment for myself and get my little ticket and go there and we did something like 80 appointments in a day because you just walk in and be like hey do you have like you know organic no do you have recycled no you have to, you know, just shut down left and right. So by the end, you have this list of like your four fabric suppliers that you've never worked with before. And they've become, <laughs> you know. But I mean, and then it also redefines how you're going to create because you're limit. it's kind of like working within the, like a watchmaker working within the framework of the, the, the circumference of the watch, you can only work. And then on top of that, it's menswear. So then again, you're kind of defining it even more tightly than that. Um, how is, you know, do you like having boundaries like that in the way you create? Did that help? Like, okay, this is it. Let's, we have to work within this space. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's been limiting. I'm not going to lie. It's, it has been a challenge, which is getting better. That was you know? my next question. Like, how is it since you started it compared to now, because it seems like everybody's up and coming today. It's all about upcycling, recycling, dead stock, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, for yeah, you, yeah. it's freed up for you. I mean, I love these, you know, let's go back to the previous question. I love the rules. 
of sustainability and I love these challenges. It's what I like about menswear also versus women's wear is like, it's a jacket, it's pants. It's like this very like regimented system of clothing, which, okay, you can break the rules. You can do a skirt, you can do a dress for men, sure. But that's your, your choice, you know, you're making a choice to step across those boundaries. Yeah. Um, and with sustainability, you have the same thing where it's like, there are certain products that I've never been able to make and probably will never be able to make or certain things that like we are now yeah, capable of because the industry is kind of caught up or we've found suppliers that, that have the things, you know, we've like started doing upcycling a lot more, which does free up a lot of possibilities because you can upcycle things that were otherwise toxic. Yeah. I mean, Gore-Tex is one of the worst fabrics in the world, but if you can find someone with a dead stock of Gore-Tex, you can do whatever you want with it because you're actually still doing the correct thing because you're not making something new. Exactly. Uh, but you need to have a factory that can work with it properly, give you something, give you something at a price that's going to be okay as well, because that's the other thing when you start a small company is, you know, you get these factories that are just going to take you for a ride. You're going to be the last of their priorities. You're going to be the last of their, you know, making deals. Like they're not going to do you any favors. That's what's in it for them. Yeah, that's what I hear. A lot of it's just you're always you're the the last, you know, rung on the totem pole or whatever it is. You, you're the, the one that they'll go to last for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to sort of like grin and bear it and slowly work your way across your suppliers where, you know, you find one, you get all you need is like one or two that you can rely on. You know, we've actually found the same t-shirt supplier from the beginning who's been amazing for us. And they do all of our jersey pieces for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and they're super reliable and they're great and they're in Portugal and we love them. But there's a lot of them that we've had to say, no, you know, even if they're doing good work, it's, you know, your minimums are not workable. Your prices are horrible. You know, your mm -hmm. communication isn't working. There's just all these different ingredients. And those are the things actually I didn't really know about when I started the business was how to be organized on the supply chain end because I was just creative. You know, my job was to... Yeah make impactful clothing and sketch and research and you know the and let's be able to figure out the details yeah yeah there's a whole production team that's this that's their problem i'm just gonna make something nice <laughs> <laughs> um i i do want to ask you the kind of generic question for the times that we live in but a little bit of a twist on it um you know we're coming out of the pandemic i'm gonna go get my shot any minute now uh i wanted to know Kind of what are the things from this last year that you might miss or, or want to take with you moving forward because it you know for me and for a lot of people and I imagine you as well it's been a time of quite a lot of reflection about what do I want to do now with my life like you know what are the real priorities and I'm curious as to for you personally or professionally what are the things that you're going to miss about this time and what are the things that kind of the revelations maybe that you've had that you want to implement in your life uh you know one thing that I think we, or at least myself, I really enjoyed was like, just this ability to like scale down mm. and having that, you know, normally if you did fashion shows and you, then all of a sudden you did a lookbook, you'd be like, oh my God, their business must be doing terribly. You know, it's like, there was all this expectation that your business needs to be like expanding like some kind of empire. Every season needs to be this like huge growth that I think, uh, you know, I've seen everyone scaled down the collections are smaller tighter you know uh there you can do lookbooks you can do photos you can do whatever you want you know if i want to like my collection is just me sending you a bunch of poems like that's fine mm -hmm. uh i love that you know i think something i realized kind of recently is like 
I don't necessarily need to be so deeply in the fashion system, hmm. traditional fashion system, if that makes sense. You know, I don't think our customer is like the hardcore fashion, fashion person. It's, it's someone, you know, so like if we want to remove ourselves a little bit and kind of just focus on doing our own thing versus doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing, you know, these expectations of what a young emerging brand should be, you know, we should be doing like, let's follow the Demna thing and do these like major fashion show things. It's like, well, maybe that's not what we want to be doing. We want to like make our little fun movies in Iceland and you know, do these fun projects where we get to be a little bit more in touch with nature and people outside of the industry, which I hope to keep up. You know, I, I think also that flexibility is something really fun where if we want to do a fashion show one season, then we want to do a digital thing. And then we want to do, you know, a trip where we invite people to come somewhere cool and see some stuff. I, you know, I think it's. Oh, I think that, I think for your brand, the idea of bringing people to go do something cool seems very much on brand for, <laughs> for your brand. I think that would be absolutely, we're all going to get to a trek somewhere. That seems like. Yeah, exactly. Come through, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be like, I'm looking forward to being able to do those sorts of events. And, you know, I think having that flexibility to kind of work at our own pace and yeah, tell the story of the brand in a different way versus like, you need to do a fashion show. You need to do a showroom like this. This is, you know, it's like, we can do a physical and digital. We can do things whenever we want, however we want. Um, well, that that makes me ask this question, which is, so they've announced that you can actually have a show. I mean, there is going to be physical menswear allowed in Paris. Is that what you want to do? I mean, if, you know, this upcoming season? No, we're not doing that this season. Okay. Uh, mostly because we've already started this other thing. Okay. Which is a digital thing which is kind of, it's, it's going to be insane, to be honest. It's going to be like this crazy sort of, yeah, like a live action digital immersion video thing that okay. is but going to look- Keeping with this new philosophy that you have, it sounds like, of that it can be at any time. And then maybe you're not even, I, I don't even know if you're planning on trying to fit it into the schedule, the official schedule. I mean, it, again, it's this, there's we, this- We are. No, no, we will, we will, we'll, we'll be on the official calendar. Because there is, you know, I was a bit like, oh, we could just shoot, you know, do a video that comes out at like the 4th of July and it's just, it comes when it comes and then in September or Christmas or, you know, like whenever we feel like doing it. But in fact, as a young brand, you know, our PR team has urged us to just kind of stay with the calendar because you get a lot more exposure because people sort of focus their energy, the, yeah. you know, COVID energy on the internet specifically for fashion for like this two week period and then they can't be bothered about it again for six months. Mm -hmm. So there's something, something to be said for kind of jumping in the line with everybody. So we'll still be on the same calendar, but you know, I'm going to afterwards, like I'm basically leaving afterwards because we're doing a digital showroom. So I don't need to be here. Okay. Um, and I'm going to go out to California where we're going to do a pop-up for the Rose Bowl, which I'm super excited about. Fabulous. Yeah. That's going to be great with our vintage collection. We're going to take it out there and you know, sell some stuff, go see some people. I'm really looking forward to that. And then we're planning a whole bunch of like trips and cool content, basically. Wait, uh, wait, I just want to circle back. Did I hear you right? You said digital collection, is that right? Or is there is a physical manifestation? Did I, because you said you were gonna bring it to the Rose Bowl. Is it an oh, actual? No, the actual, we're going to the Rose Bowl vintage fair and we're gonna sell vintage at the vintage fair. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is, I, I agree with you. This is the most, the, the part that's the most exciting about thing creatively wise um, that, 
you know, post pandemic is the way that people can now pretty much do what's best for their brand or, you know, which resonates the most strongly with them to a certain, to a certain point. And I do, I can't have, you know, wrap this, you know, interview up without talking to you about the importance of nature and the outside to your creativity and to your brand. Can you talk about how you're, besides the sustainability, how are you trying to imbue your brand with, with that kind of messaging, with that kind of energy and how nature helps you be creative? Cause I know you need to get out there and, and do things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. I, I just personally love to be outside on a, just my own level is, you know, I do a lot of sports. I, I like to just run around and be doing stuff the whole time. And I guess that's where, you know, when you've, you know, when I built this brand, it was like, well, I just want to put myself into it. I'm sort of deeply obsessed with that. And, you know, you're seeing this Gorp core movement happen now, which has kind of been a little bit like where I've operated kind of always, mm-hmm. you know, just functional stuff. It's very practical. You know, it's very California, this yep. core, core thing where you're like, I don't know, I might go for a hike later. I might not. I want to keep my jacket in my car and, you know, have some sneakers that I like, I might need a trail run, you know, like it's very freeform. And I love that culture. I love that, you know, again, this is to go back to California. It's, it's very like that culture, mm-hmm. you know, of people that are in touch with nature, whether or not they're like a hiker, you know, you're still appreciating it. It's still around you. It's, it's a certain element of functionality to everything as well. I mean, in California, it's similar to France in a way. I mean, except for the desert aspect, because, you know, California is desert, it's the mm-hmm. ocean, it's the mountains, it's the forest. And France has many of those elements as well. But, it, you know, it does lend itself to whatever your outdoor activity is. You could, you know, you could hit it at, you know, Lake Tahoe, you could do it. I mean, it's all there in California. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want deserts, you want snow, you can do it in the same day, which is kind of insane. But, um, I think have you know just having that appreciation. Yeah, you can you can be in Switzerland. You can you don't it doesn't have to be necessarily American. It's just for me that's where I grew up. So that's my like kind of point of reference for anything really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just love that culture, and you know I love to elevate that sort of universe, this kind of countercultural world, into a sort of high fashion space, and finding that balance in between where it's practical but it's also kind of fun because there's that whole idea of otherness. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, which is like, I love the North Face. I love Patagonia. I love all these brands, but they are, you know, they're sort of in between. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more just hiking stuff. It's, you know, it's not quite elevated to that level of weirdness, let's say. Yeah, the fashion, the fashion twist of it all. I mean, it, it's very similar when you, uh, there, there does seem to be a morphing of like the active wear of the street the more, you know, uh, urban, you know, stuff that's been elevated, you know, um, by some luxury brands, but it, what you're talking about, it hasn't it really, except for you, I, I'm trying to think of any other brands that really do what you do is that kind of um, outside nature in that way hasn't really been explored at a higher level other than what you're doing, which I, which is why I find what you do so fascinating. Thank you. You know, I mean, for me, it's also, I hope to inspire people that are not normally interested in outdoor cultures to mm-hmm. kind of take that leap, you know, I mean, it is a very like vanilla sort of whitewashed culture to be a little bit blunt about it. Um, You know, so where's like the queer people, where's the, you know, other ethnicities or sexualities or, you know what I mean? Just like, where are are all those other funky people that we love that make life such a beautiful place, you know? And how can we get them inspired by the outdoors? And that's, you know, maybe through activations of partnerships with Smokey Bear, or, you know. I love you know. that Smokey Bear collection. That was one of my favorites. I still regret not getting one of those shirts. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I mean, there's so, so many different, you know, groups of people or tribes out there that could, you know, should just, you know, try it out, maybe experience it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and feel, find a connection through it, through your clothing in a way that maybe they would feel not included otherwise. Yeah, you know, and I hope to open this world to them and show them that like, you know, Gorp Quarry is for everyone. It's not just this nerdy hiker thing. It's actually like really cool, you know, and, and it's really fun. Well, listen, I commend you on your challenge and, and your mission. I think I think it's a it's a very honorable one and a good one. I want to, before we go, I want to ask you my five generic fashion questions that I ask everybody. Okay. Um, so here we go. What is your favorite piece of clothing that you own in your own wardrobe that you cherish above all others? That's a hard one. I don't know. I, I'm not so like precious with anything really. Probably my, you know what? It's going to be my workout shorts, my go-to workout shorts. Why is it your go-to? I, I don't know if this is, gets too technical. Why is your go-to workout shorts? What is it about them that is your favorite piece they're, of clothing? They're my favorite piece of clothing because I think my life would be ruined if I didn't have them. For some reason, it's, it's really hard. They're like, so it's actually not even a pair of shorts. It's a pair of sweatpants that I cut. Mm-hmm. That are like these old, it's like a cotton polyester blend. They're probably 20 years old at this point. They have little white stripes down the sides. They're very simple. Uh, they have zip pockets, which are great because you can zip them closed and then the things stay in there. And they just fit really nice. They go with pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. I want a photo. You got to send me. I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So next question is, you know, not everybody um, has a, a, a ton of money to spend on clothing, to invest in clothing. One of the reasons, unfortunately, fast fashion is probably going to last longer than we like. But if people were to you know, save up for one piece, what would that kind of investment piece be for you? What would you recommend that somebody like save up and invest in? As in like something from from FIPS or just in general? From FIPS or in general, like what is that kind of key piece that mm. you want to make sure you're putting money behind that it's going to last you? Uh, I think a good pair of shoes. So we're talking, we're talking like, you know, hiking boots, shoes? Like what comes to your mind when we say good pair of shoes? I think that depends on the person that, you know, whoever that person is and the life, you know, like look at your own life. Are you someone who is running around on dirt paths, then maybe, yeah, getting a good pair of boots is like, you know, spend that extra couple hundred bucks and get the really nice ones that are gonna keep your feet happy. Mm-hmm. If you're not, just getting a good pair of like, you know, leather boots. I think every guy should have a good pair of like kick-ass leather boots that are really nice, that are good year welted. And those will last you decades, you know, yeah. if you treat them right. And they, again, go with anything. You can wear them with jeans, you can wear them with a suit, you can kind of do whatever you need to do in them. That's very true. My my husband, my future husband at the time, he, it was his leather boots that first caught my eye. So <laughs> <laughs> what about who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Uh, probably, I mean, you know what? I'm going to say like go back to like my school me and say probably McQueen. Yeah. Yeah. Lee was. You know, he got me into it. Here I am. Yep. You know, and his it was just such a powerful thing to watch when it was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. He uh, he was a one of a kind, quite def- defined defined his universe, defined a, mm-hmm. an era. Uh, okay, two more questions. Last, second to last question is, what trend will you never follow? What would I never follow? I mean, you know what? I will never be able to follow like a skinny jeans thing. I've got quads of steel. I look insane in very tight clothing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. All right. And then final question is, what do you love most about fashion? Uh, you know, I think I touched on it earlier. I just love how like 
I love how global it is. You know, I love that like whether you label something fashion or not, it's like everybody's got to get dressed. Everybody got to wear clothes, and you know, there there is choosing to interact with it or not, or call it fashion or not. It it is something that is fundamentally human, mm-hmm. and so deeply ingrained in the way that we communicate that it's really fun. It's it's super interesting to see how people dress themselves and and what people are interested in talking about or wearing or you know new creators and you know just the whole process I think is really really interesting. Mm, I absolutely agree Spencer this has been a delight as always it's been so wonderful talking to you thank you so much for taking the time and I can't wait to see your digital presentation whenever it comes out. Thanks yeah keep keep uh keep a lookout for it it's coming it's going to be fully insane I think. Well, I wouldn't expect anything less from you, quite frankly. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.